Good morning. Welcome to the hills. It may not be morning if you're watching online in some other part of the world, thrilled you're with us, or if you're in person at North Richmond Hills, South Lake, or West Fort Worth campus. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm the senior teaching minister here. And you may not know that if you've only been here a couple of weeks, as I've been out in the last three weeks, we've been blessed by the teaching of Manny Dominguez, E.J. Brown, and Taylor Walling. Can I say thank you to them? And you can join me in that. Our five-year vision as a church is to ask for nations and generations. If we are going to ask for the next generation, then we need to employ the gifts and listen to the voices of the next generation. So thank you, church, for blessing and receiving them so well. I had the privilege during that time to visit churches. And last weekend, Jamie and I were in San Luis Obispo uh, visiting a church plant that we support there. And the Bramer family, you can see Brent and Jenna and their four children, they moved to that city about four years ago to start a church. Uh, and you'll see in the next picture that I'm with Brent outside. You say, before you go into church, we never went into church. You see, they launched in September of 19, and then the pandemic began. And California's restrictions were even tougher than here. They couldn't meet inside for a long time, so they started meeting outside. Uh, they met outside in a parking lot in this next picture, that's the group of people I prayed with that show up at six in the morning on Sundays to set up church in a parking lot. When you show up at their church, the first thing you do is you go and you get your pew and you set it up wherever you want. And it is amazing. Their church grew during the pandemic. In fact, you can see these next two pictures. They now, a three-year-old church, are having over 400 people a week come to church. They fellowship. They praise God in song. They hear strong preaching. And it was truly a beautiful experience. And thank you so much for sending Jamie with me. She is such a blessing to church planner wives. The husbands never cry when I leave. The wives always cry when Jamie leaves. <laughs> so it was a real sweet time to be with this sweet family. And uh, God is doing good things. They're having a baptism Sunday today. And I know they have six people who plan to get baptized. I think others will. Would you take a moment and would you just take a second to pray for that church? Father, we thank you for all of our church plants, but especially today, we're praying for the church in San Luis Obispo. We're praying for people who are going to come today and get baptized. Some who plan and some who haven't planned yet, but they're going to make that decision to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, we pray for many to experience new life in Jesus there and here, in Jesus' name, amen. So by the way, because of the pandemic, we haven't done this now for over two years, but on March 20, we're gonna have a baptism Sunday again. So you're thinking maybe of someone you know that needs to know that. In fact, some of you listening to me right now, you've been thinking about getting baptized. So you reach out to one of us, let's talk about it, and let's get you prepared. Call your friends, call your family from out of town, get everybody here on March 20th, and let's witness you put on Jesus in baptism. Now, when you talk to a church planner like Brent or to a missionary, you'll talk about preaching, you'll talk about leadership, but almost always you'll talk about their biggest struggle the most. And it's this, that our churches are full of people that are very, very new in faith. We need more spiritual veterans to help us disciple and mentor all the spiritually young. 
Now, no one felt that burden more than the greatest church planter and missionary ever, the Apostle Paul. Because he knew what we say every week. The mission of the church is to make and to grow followers of Jesus. Not just to have people receive Jesus, but for people to mature in Jesus. And no one could ever say on that regard that Paul had a small go. Look what he said in Colossians 1. That Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So you can hear the passion. He says, I'm asking Jesus every day for more power to bring people to maturity in Christ. Another version says, I want to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. You see, Paul could never settle for a nursery full of baby Christians. Now get this, Paul's goal was not just to bring people to Christ, but to bring people to maturity in Christ. He didn't want to just get people into Christ. He wanted to get the life of Christ into people. In fact, his passion for this was so strong he wrote the Galatians and compared his passion to a woman in childbirth. Now, how would he know what that's like? I will use a lot of metaphors, but I will never say, I felt like a woman having a baby. But that's what Paul did. He said, I am like a woman in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Okay, let's get real a second. Some are arguing that the greatest struggle the church in America is facing right now is a crisis in formation. And I would say the last several years have revealed that. Oh, sure, there's been racial tension. There's been political division. But those just revealed a deeper problem, that followers of Jesus are not being formed into the image of Christ. They're being formed by other narratives. This is why so many pastors have quit the last two years. They're discouraged. I thought my preaching was forming people to see life through the eyes of Jesus. And what I realize now is my people are orthodox. They say all the right things about Jesus, but they're formed by their favorite blogger or podcast. They're formed by their news channel. They're formed by their partisan politics, and they're just sprinkling Jesus on top. Paul would have none of that. You see, a lot of churches don't even expect formation. Their goal is, would you come a little? Would you give a little? And would you only sin a little and avoid scandal? Are churches expecting, are churches calling people to radical transformation into the image of Jesus? Paul would make that call. Look again what he said, Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Notice, I don't want you just to receive Christ. I want you to go deep into Christ. I want the life of Christ to be flowing through you. I want you to be rooted. So for the next several weeks, using the book of Colossians, we're going to talk about what that looks like. What does it mean to be rooted in the mission of Christ, in the triumph of Christ, in the wisdom of Christ, next week in the supremacy of Christ? But today, we're going to start where we have to start, with the gospel of Christ. Now, before I read our text, I've got to give you a background to the book of Colossians. Uh, there's a part of the world today that we call Turkey. Back then, it was called Asia. And the largest city was Ephesus. We know from the book of Acts, Paul spent over two years in that city teaching and preaching. Paul didn't found the church in Colossae. We don't know if he ever went there. But a guy from there named Epaphras came to Ephesus, met Paul, became a Christian, goes back to Colossae and starts a church. Before long, the new Christians there are getting troubled by some philosophies that are upsetting them. And, and Epaphras thinks, man, I am in over my head. So he goes to Paul and Paul writes a letter to his spiritual grandchildren that we call the letter of Colossians. Now, what was this philosophy? Well, it's hard to put a finger on it because it's several things. There was some intellectualism, some mysticism, some legalism. But the gist of all of it was what these new Christians were hearing was Jesus is good, but he's not enough. You need to add something to Jesus. Now, that's why Paul uses the word all over 30 times in the book of Colossians. His message over and over is Jesus is all you need. Jesus is enough. By the way, that's what we believe here. You say, what do you teach about Jesus? Well, you can go to the website. You can read our statement of faith. I'll save you some time. We say Jesus is enough. That's what we believe. And what we're going to do now for the next few weeks is we're just going to explore and affirm the allness of Jesus. And we're going to start with the gospel. Now, I'm going to read from chapter 1. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a long text, and the devil's going to try to get you to be distracted. Don't you let him do that. This is the Word of God I'm reading, okay? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you focus and you listen, and especially to what Paul says about the gospel. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who was also told you of your us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now down to verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I'm going to share with you three big alls about the gospel that Paul just wrote and shared with us, okay? And the first is this. The gospel is all about grace. C.S. Lewis went to a conference some years ago discussing what was particularly unique about the Christian faith. And he was like, why do we even need a conference? He said, that's easy. It's grace. It is grace that makes the Christian faith unique of all the religions of the world. Look at what Paul said. Since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace. Now listen, I'm going to make a bold statement. But almost every problem happening in churches or in your life have as a fundamental root a failure to understand the gospel. A failure to believe and go deep into the grace of God. This is why we're susceptible to other ideas. People always trying to improve the gospel, add to the gospel. Listen, the gospel is not teaching you how you can find favor with God. The gospel is an invitation to allow God's favor to find you. I want you to look back at our text. God got all the good verbs. Look again. Verse 12, who has qualified you? You didn't fix yourself up and qualify yourself for God. God qualified you. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We didn't escape. We got rescued. Uh, same verse, who has brought you into the kingdom of light. You didn't find it on your own. You didn't swagger into the kingdom of God. You got carried in by the grace of God. Look at verse 22. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Paul says, this is the gospel you were taught from the start. That we didn't teach you how to obligate God or make payments to God. God made all the payments. And I think it's very important to say too. One sign the church is drifting is when churches start getting away from what Jesus did on the cross. Now, we love the teaching of Jesus. We love the ethic of Jesus. But the Bible never says you were reconciled to God by his teaching or by his ethic. But Paul says clearly you were reconciled by his physical body when he died on a cross. That's important. That there's one way to get right with God. And that bridge is splattered with the blood of his son. I know this offends people. 
We all want to believe we're good and we're just getting better and we can improve ourselves. And that is not the word of God. The gospel will always be offensive to some. Paul is offended if you try to change it or you try to improve it. Let grace be the message. The gospel is unimprovable. Now, to illustrate, I'm going to date myself. When I was a young man, one of my favorite TV shows was called Happy Days. And my favorite character was Arthur Fonzarelli. And every show would start with the Fonz going to a mirror, pulling out his comb, looking at himself, going, hey, and putting his comb up because he couldn't improve himself. The Fonz couldn't be better than he already was. The gospel is like the Fonz. Don't let anybody try to fix it. We are rescued and brought into the kingdom because of the unfathomable grace of God. Paul said in Acts 20, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now listen, church, this is where spiritual maturity starts. If you get this wrong, you will never mature in Christ. It starts right here by letting your roots go down deep into the grace of God. And when you get grace, I promise grace is going to get you. And that's the second big all. The gospel affects all of life. In the slide for this series, you notice at the top, there's these flowers, beautiful, bright, brilliant colors, but underneath it's dark. That's the roots. We never take pictures of the roots. We never brag about the roots. You don't get the flowers without the roots. You drive by an orchard, you love the limes or the lemons or the oranges. You love the fruit, but the fruit is only there because the roots are deep and good. And what's true of trees is true of Christians. When you get your roots right into the gospel of grace, then the life of Christ begins producing you the fruit that honors God. Look at verse six again. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth of God's wonderful grace. See, the gospel's dynamic. Wherever it goes, it brings change. But here's the problem. We don't believe that. So we think we got to fix it. We think we got to improve it. We think we got to add something to it. And so you come to Christ and we got to give you a system. We got to give you some rules. We got to give you some regulations. We just don't trust the power of the Holy Spirit to change people. What Paul is going to say is that the only path to more holiness is more controlled by the Holy Spirit. Look again at what he prayed. This is what we should pray for new Christians. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The gospel is going to affect all of life. When we go deep into the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is going to start touching every part of our life. So when we get over to chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Colossians, we're going to see what happens when the gospel takes hold. You're going to stop lusting and being sexually impure. That's what he says. Filthy words are going to stop coming out of your mouth when the gospel takes over. You're going to stop getting mad all the time. And you're never going to look at anybody with prejudice. You're going to start forgiving people that hurt you. 
It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect how you parent your kids. It's going to affect how you talk to people who don't know Jesus. Some of you have read books by Lee Strobel, a well-known Christian apologist. What you may not know, he was an atheist and an ardent one at that. A Yale-trained lawyer, an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He and his wife, Leslie, are having bad marriage problems. She starts going to a church. She accepts Christ. She comes home. She tells him he's furious. He sets out to disprove Christianity. He spends two years. He knows how to ask the tough questions. He knows how to do the research. And two years of research convinced him the evidence is real and strong. Jesus Christ came back from the dead. He became a Christian. The evidence of that was later when their daughter Allison said to mom, I want to be a Christian too. Why, honey? I want God to do for me what God has done for daddy. When a person is rooted in the gospel, it starts to change everything. And it can change everybody. And that's the third big all. The gospel is for all the world. Notice verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Or verse 23. The gospel that you heard has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, I think that's some hyperbole there. I think what Paul really means is we haven't found a single people group in all of our travel that we don't think needs a gospel. And you never will. There is no ethnic community on earth that does not need the gospel. And this is a bold claim. This is a scandalous claim. Paul is saying the gospel is absolute truth. Therefore, it is universal truth. It's true for everybody. They went into the world not because people didn't have religion. Not because people didn't have ethical systems or ways to get to their gods. They went into all the world because they thought Jesus was absolute truth and everybody needed him. We do too. And when you get that, you don't look at any people group with contempt, but with compassion. D.A. Carson, a well-known theologian, said he had a few days of vacation, went with a friend down to the beach to relax and unwind. They get there the first day. There's a horde of high school kids, and they are playing loud music, using foul language, drinking lots of beer, and engaging in some activities that could not be rated PG. And he's angry. They're going to ruin my whole vacation. He looked at his friend who was staring at those students and who said softly, high school kids, what a mission field. When you get the gospel, it changes how you look at everybody. And that's why as a church, we're asking for nations and generations. That's why we're being intentional about trying to start disciple-making movements in parts of the world that are unreached, that have little access to the gospel. That's why we're being active about trying to reach people of other nations that are coming to our city, particularly asylum seekers. One of our goals the next five years is to advocate for 25 families that come from other nations seeking asylum in our country. I want to give you a very quick update of how that's going. So watch this video. We have a goal to raise up 25 asylum seeker advocates trained in our church. As of today, we have five advocates already trained and paired with an asylum seeker and another six advocates in development. 
And today, I had the honor of giving Manazzi Mignande, the executive director of Dash Network, our very first check in support of their work with asylum seekers. We are so incredibly proud to partner with Dash as we ask for nations and generations. On behalf of Dash Network, I just want to say thank you so much to Hills Church for your generosity. Um, your support is, means everything to us and lives are going to be changed because of your generosity. God bless you all. God is glorified when we embody the gospel. Jesus welcomed us when we were strangers to his kingdom, and we get to paint a picture of Jesus when we advocate for asylum seekers. Can we just celebrate that, church? We were able to give Dash Network $50,000 from our harvest offering this spring. We'll move it to our renew offering, and we'll do this every year as we work with the nations that are coming to our own city because the gospel is for all the world. In fact, let's get real one more time. I know it can be discouraging when we get almost weekly regular reports from secular media about the decline of the church, the rise of the nuns, and those things are true and discouraging. Let me remind you, they are only reporting about the church in the West, primarily the Caucasian church. Those numbers are not as true of people of color in the West. And they're certainly not true of the church around the world. I just need to remind you, the global church is thriving. It is exploding. 20 years ago, there were 200 more million Christians in North America than in Africa. Today, there are 300 more million Christians in Africa than there are in North America. There are 100 million Christians in China, and they add 16,000 a day. The church is growing faster right now in Iran than in any other nation in the world. In the last 15 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the previous 1,400 years. Church, the global church is exploding. It is a colorful church, and it is a beautiful church. Right now, the largest churches in Europe are led by African pastors, and that is starting to happen right here in America. I don't know what it'll look like for my great-grandchildren, but here's what I do know. God is going to send missionaries from Ghana and Nigeria and Iran and China to America to reach our kids. Because Jesus is on the throne, he is head of his church, and his church is doing just fine. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He's saying the gospel is the only seed you can plant anywhere in the world and it will bear fruit. So, so, <laughs> you remember the story? Jesus told about the sower, he goes out to the field, he throws out seed, and some falls on hard soil, and some on rocky soil, and some on thorny soil, and some on good soil. And what's the point? And a lot of people say, well, the point is, you need to be very judicious about where you share the gospel. That's not the point. The point is that the sower refuses to be frugal with the seed. He sows it everywhere. 
God sows extravagantly, relentlessly, almost recklessly. God sows where it makes good sense to sow. God sows where it makes no sense to sow. And God produces a harvest in places that seem impossible. That's how some of you got saved. It was just a few years ago that no one thought you would ever come to faith. And look at you today because somebody sowed some seed. And the gospel is that strong and that powerful and that full of the Spirit. And it can grow anywhere. The gospel is so good. So sow it. One more story. The picture you're seeing, the taller guy is named Tyler Boone. This happened back in 2019. Tyler's a runner. Signed up for a 10-mile race. Good shape. At mile eight, he goes into total cardiac arrest. Medical personnel said if they had waited to get him to a hospital, he wouldn't have made it. But they didn't have to wait because the other guy was right behind him. A certified registered nurse anesthetist did CPR, brought him back, saved his life. His name, are you ready for this? Jesus Bueno. His name is Jesus is good. Tyler had written on his bib in the race, Jesus saves, and he got saved by Jesus. Because Jesus can save anyone, anywhere, anytime of anything. Let your roots go down deep into that truth. And it'll change everything. You, most of all. So pray with me. Oh God, we thank you for the gospel that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been qualified, rescued, reconciled, and brought into the kingdom of light. God, increase our understanding of the gospel of grace. Increase our passion for the gospel of grace. Increase our desire to sow the gospel of grace. We pray that we will see many, many, many more find and receive this good news and come to Jesus who can save anybody, anywhere, anytime, of anything. We know that because he even saved us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.